the thing that we had to kind of get our minds around is the psychology of change, the psychology of people working remotely. Like everything else in the world, the way governments use and depend on technology has been dramatically changed by COVID-19. But the pandemic has also revealed how technology has never been more important in ensuring that government services remain available to Americans, especially at the state level. I'm Benjamin Freed, technology editor at StateScoop, and this is the StateScoop 50 podcast. In this series, we'll take a look at the winners of the 2020 StateScoop 50 awards. We'll talk with them about the work they've done, their careers, and how they got to this point. And of course, because we're in the middle of a pandemic, we'll talk about how the coronavirus has affected their lives and changed the way they do their jobs. That voice you heard at the beginning is Ron Garrier, the recently departed Chief Information Officer of Illinois, talking about how this year has impacted his state's workforce. This will be a six-part series, each episode diving into a different category of the State Scoop 50 Awards, which were announced Thursday, September 17th. This is the seventh year we've done the State Scoop 50 Awards, and they've grown and changed with state government along the way. Usually, we'd give these things out at a reception, with an open bar and plenty of hors d'oeuvres. Obviously, we couldn't do that this year. So we're doing this podcast. We put out the call for nominations in February, culled down the nominations we received from the community, and opened voting in March. Voting ran through the end of June, after which the top vote-getters in all six categories became this year's class of State's Group 50 winners. In today's episode, we'll meet the winners of the most prestigious category, Golden Gov State Executive of the Year. Out of 36 nominees, eight were selected. The winners were Lukman Fazal, the Chief Information Officer for New Jersey Transit, Ron Garrier, Chief Information Officer for the State of Illinois, Governor Jared Polis of Colorado, John Quinn, Chief Information Officer for the State of Vermont, Christopher Rain, Chief Technology Officer for the State of New Jersey, Sarah Steelman, Commissioner of the Missouri Office of Administration, Ed Toner, the Chief Information Officer for the State of Nebraska, and Ken Zellers, Director of the Missouri Department of Revenue. In a series of interviews, we talked to each leader about their roles, their top priorities, and, most pressingly, how they responded to this most unusual and uncertain year. Here are their stories. March 15th. That's when Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker told his state's nearly 50,000 employees to prepare to work from home. Six months later, most of them are still there, but getting ready for long-term telework felt largely on the Department of Innovation and Technology, then led by Ron Garrier. I would say, actually, we did pretty good. Um, within 72 hours, we were up on um, pretty much telework. Anyone can work from home if they have a device. We have, so the technology, and then I always be care. I'm always careful when I say this, but the technology was ready. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, the technology was ready because we went back to what we shared before with you is that we were focused on our foundation, right? If we get the architecture right, we get the security right, service management right. We said this from day one. Um, then we could build on top of that. And thankfully, we kind of already started working for a year on that foundation. So when it was time to spin up remote work, we were able to go from 2,000 to 20,000 to 30,000 to whatever. But just supplying people with the resources to work from home isn't enough. IT leaders talk about changing the culture. This has been a culture shock. The thing that we had to kind of get our minds around is the psychology of change, the psychology of people working remotely. What does that mean? That means that your schedules are completely out of whack, that you've never had those issues before. That means that from a a cybersecurity perspective, like right now I'm talking to you from home, um, this is now an extension of 
the footprint that our CISO has to protect. Yeah. So we have to introduce new tools, like we brought in Okta and other things to make sure that we have security on the fringe because the fringe has completely gone exponential to a whole bunch of uh, residences, right? So those and uh, multi-factor authentication, um, things that are just like common sense things for companies that have worked remotely for years were like new for us. Not every state had a transition as smooth as the one Garrier described in Illinois, but some saw the crisis coming and started preparing before the first wave of COVID-19 crashed on U.S. shores. In February, as the coronavirus was racing across Europe and starting to appear on the West Coast, Vermont Chief Information Officer John Quinn started bracing for the one contingency he didn't have a response plan for, a pandemic. This was serious, and we knew that we were going to have to step up and really take a forward-leaning role in uh, leading government through this being the Agency of Digital Services. Uh, we immediately started putting procurements in place, putting technologies in place to ensure the continuity of operations. We had continuity of operations plans, but we never anticipated for a pandemic in our plan. Mm -hmm. um, that was not something that uh, was at the front of my mind. We always worry about floods. We always worry about, you know, fires. We always worry about those types of things. So it it definitely, you know, put the CIO's role in a, in a forward-leaning role to lead um, my colleagues uh, through how do, we, how do we bring people home or how do we send people home and continue operations of state government to ensure that we're providing the services to Vermonters in, in an uncertain time, really, and in a time that's going to be high stress. By almost all public health measures, Vermont's handling of the coronavirus has been more successful than any other state's which is 1,700 cases total and 58 deaths. One of the earliest and hardest hit states, though, was New Jersey, with nearly 200,000 confirmed COVID-19 infections and more than 16,000 dead. And as the pandemic flared in March and April, Chief Technology Officer Christopher Rain had to move quickly. New Jersey, and probably many states like this, New Jersey really was not a um, work-from-home-at-scale state prior to this, right? It was the oddball. It was the occasional system admin or the back-end DBA person who had, uh, you know, a, a, a VPN accounts that they would go in the back door. But most of New Jersey's more than 60,000 state employees were not equipped to work from home. Now, when we, when we started to have to ramp up now, more and more people needed assets to applications, some of them web-enabled, some of them not, um, applications and services that are attacked, directly attached to our state's infrastructure on-prem, um, that's when those challenges came in. So all these agencies, they're buying laptops uh, at, at scale they never had before. Um, and we had both, you know, d delivery delays, I, I Dell and HP and all of those vendors, right, can only crank them out at a certain pace. Um, I, I actually had some personal contact with Michael Dell, who was extremely supportive of some, of some real needs that we need to have that were almost... Uh, almost public safety uh, in, in, in magnitude. But the point of this sudden transformation to a remote environment wasn't just to keep state workers safe from the spread of a deadly virus. IT leaders are responsible for making sure the governments they support can reach the public, no matter how dire the circumstances. I mean, the most important thing was keeping our workforce safe mm -hmm. and healthy yeah. and making sure that we are serving our citizens in the same way. Sarah Steelman is commissioner of the Missouri Office of Administration, which includes the state's IT division. And we had to, you know, basically figure out who could work remotely 
then we had to get their equipment to them so that they were able to do that. And, you know, logistically, I know that IT had to assess and get the information from all 16 departments and then get it ordered, make sure we had the right equipment in, in stock. And, and, of course, that's been difficult with the supply chain problems um, and everybody else in the world demanding the same kind of equipment. Um, and then we had people just, just getting that equipment distributed to all the remote workers. But that's why I say literally um, many of the IT people were working both day and night and weekends to make that happen. In the meantime, though, state IT leaders also want to keep their people motivated. Ron Garrier convened weekly conversations with his team just to see how they were doing. We pulled in our friends from Central Management Services and we talked about mental health. We talked about all the things that they have if they are having a down day or they're being stressed out by the news cycle, which can, can make anyone feel yeah. now, right? COVID, how it impacts them personally. Um, we've lost, um, some of our employees have lost family members, right? You're balancing all the, Oh, and get this, your kid's not going to school and they're going to be yelling in the background while you're working. Across states, perhaps no service needed more IT support this spring as unemployment systems, as tens of millions of people lost their jobs. Christopher Rain of New Jersey. The unemployment crush in like literally from the first, second, third weeks of this whole uh, of this whole impact, that was a huge focus. We had to do some, uh, on a very old system, we had to do some, you know, optimization. We had to do some refinement. We had to purchase additional capacity, some hardware, some software. The demand for benefits was so heavy, Governor Phil Murphy even issued an open call for engineers skilled in COBOL, the primitive programming language that undergirds the old mainframe that runs the Garden State's unemployment system. But in Nebraska, CIO Ed Toner tells a different story. We've had 100% availability of every single system in our in our uh, arsenal here, including our unemployment system. Yeah. We had no issues whatsoever. We had just upgraded that. Our unemployment system was modernized and in the cloud um, October of last year. So yeah. uh, the timing was great for us. It's not just unemployment systems, though. How do you make sure people can still get other vital services and information from government when the offices are closed? For Colorado Governor Jared Polis, the state's mobile app has never been a more crucial tool. Well, of course, uh, very, um, you know, in, in dealing with the COVID response, technology has been critical. We leveraged our My Colorado app to deliver COVID-19 push notifications to text and email. Uh, it really accelerated our work to get to the, uh, the contact-free Colorado digital ID, which we launched before the pandemic. And CIOs also find themselves working more closely than ever with their counterparts in public health, especially when it comes to developing the contact tracing platforms that will be crucial to tracking and hopefully slowing the spread of the coronavirus. Here's Christopher Rain again. The Department of Health, right, really became um, front and center with the support of all of the systems, you know, the contact tracing, getting that going. We had no contact tracing system. And now we're going through very, very, very aggressively. It's been day and night with our exposure notification systems. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the, those two systems have a natural integration with them. And then the Department of Health, um, you know, is just dealing with volumes immunizations, vaccinations, contact tracing records, and so forth. So that's a whole volumetric 
um, you know, kind of order of magnitude jump that we're trying to support our Department of Health uh, with. Vermont's John Quinn hired a chief data officer, Kristen McClure, in late January. Within weeks, he says, she was responsible for working with the state's health and public safety departments to manage the huge mountains of information that would drive the state's decisions about COVID-19. So uh, immediately I assigned her and one of her staff to work with uh, the State Emergency Operations Center, Mm -hmm. assigned to um, the Commissioner of Public Safety at that time. From there, her role really morphed into uh, not only being um, the, I don't want to call it the spokesperson, but the lead IT data guru there, but she took on a bigger role with the Department of Health making sure that uh, we had um, dashboards and that the data was being put together in a thoughtful way and that we were using our data, um, not only uh, our data, but other people's data to give us a more holistic view of what was going on in not just our state, but in the states around us and across the country. Six months in, a lot of us, myself included, are still working from home, wondering when we'll be back at our desks, looking at our colleagues in the flesh and not through an endless series of Zoom calls. But many of the winners in our Golden Gov category are already thinking about what that future looks like whenever it begins. For one thing, state government will have to be leaner after taking such a huge drop in tax revenue. Here's Sarah Steelman. We are required by the Constitution to have a balanced budget, and we take that very seriously. And so we've made cutbacks in our um, existing workforce to some degree. We tried to avoid that as much as we could. Uh, and then we also are, you know, went through and looked at different programs that could be done more efficiently and effectively and tried, tried to save money that way. That was for the current fiscal year that we're in. Now we'll be getting ready for a new budget in, for FY22, and we'll be facing some of the same budget issues again But some of our winners see potential silver linings in this emergency shift to remote work. If lots of people keep logging in from home for good, government may be able to reduce its fiscal footprint and save a little bit on the rent. Colorado Governor Polis. We went from 1% or 2% uh, telecommuting to now 60-65% of our state workforce telecommutes every day. Uh, really just to make sure that people can stay safe. And uh, over time, what this means is reduced overhead, more efficiency, better employee morale and retention. So we really believe that this new normal after the pandemic uh, will be 20, 30% telecommuting, which means significant savings for taxpayers. And working in state government IT, which under normal circumstances can have a tough time finding talent willing to relocate, may no longer require a person to even reside in the state for which they work. Vermont's John Quinn sees a future in which he'll recruit from all over. You know, when you, when you think about the numbers across the United States of people that telework, and now the number of people that telework and want to continue teleworking, I think there's uh, opportunity here uh, on, on several fronts from uh, retaining workforce, but also expanding our pool of applicants across the United States. No longer do I have a 30-mile or 40-mile search range when I'm looking for employees. Um, you know, from 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 my standpoint, I'm just as likely, you know, or just as happy to hire someone from Texas or California. But not every state will go in that direction. In Nebraska, where Governor Pete Ricketts has lifted nearly all pandemic restrictions, government workers are headed back to their offices, and Ed Toner is glad to see them in person again. 
Yeah, and I'm, you know, I, throughout my career, uh, working, especially working from multi-locations and, and even overseas, I used, um, you know, WebEx quite a bit um, or other video technology quite a bit. Um, and the one thing um, that um, I really learned in that, in that time is that you have to have FaceTime with people. I mean, that was the reason why I traveled overseas when I had a team. That's why I traveled to Atlanta and, and Jersey City and San Diego and all those other towns, uh, you know, Denver, is people need to see you, people need to talk to you. While Toner says the Nebraska Office of the Chief Information Officer will make greater use of video conferencing services to connect teams in different buildings or, say, avoiding going outside during the state's brutal winters, he says people are just better when they're together. Yeah. I think uh, the thoughts of working from home all the time, I think are, are, are gonna be a negative effect. I know that we have a very young workforce. We, we purposely brought in a lot of youth into, into Nebraska uh, to fill our positions. And if I don't have that FaceTime with those folks and get to know them and their managers get to know them. And you can't do that on a video conference. Believe me, I've tried for years. Even as COVID-19 has swallowed the world, other events are still impacting our lives. And our Golden Gov winners are no exception. Earlier this year, in the wake of the killings of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd, and a nationwide reconciliation with racial injustice, Ron Garrier and I talked about his experiences as a black man in private and public sector IT and how he leverages technology to try to create real equality. We revisited the conversation in August, just before he announced he'd be stepping down from the state of Illinois to join HP as the tech giant's global CIO. He started by telling me about a commencement speech he'd given in June to a STEM high school in Chicago with a predominantly black student body. It was in a parking lot due to the pandemic. All the kids were in their cars. Those who had moonroofs were standing up through the moonroofs, and then they had fat heads in front of every one of the cars, which was mm -hmm. really cool of the kid, of the students. And then the beautiful thing about this is it allowed the students to walk the stage one at a time through social distancing. And I gave my speech, um, and for me, it was it was awesome. It felt great because I shared with them in front of their parents what they've accomplished, but more importantly, what they are going to do and kind of the world's are oyster kind of discussion. Also shared, um, it's very important to this generation, to all generations, this generation, that their brand, their personal brand is their best asset and they have to protect their personal brand. One of Garrier's biggest focuses while he was Illinois' CIO was expanding broadband, especially to serve the state's schools, most of which remain partially or entirely online and promoting STEM education especially in underserved and less connected communities across the state. Technology is an enabler. And so getting kids to see that that is an option for them and let them really understand that I might be African-American or I might be um, Latino, but I can do math. There's a stigma that they just, we just don't do math. And that's, that's false. We do math and we do quite well, but we got to reinforce that with our kids. But I also had to ask, thinking back to Garrier's commencement speech, what's his personal brand? Um, my personal brand, literally, I've said this before, is make tomorrow better than it was yesterday.
That wraps up our Golden Gov State Executive of the Year award category here on the State Scoop 50 podcast. We couldn't fit everyone in this episode, but every State Scoop 50 winner is highlighted on statescoop.com. My thanks to Ron Garrier, John Quinn, Christopher Rain, Sarah Steelman, Ed Toner, Jared Polis, Lookman Fazal, and Ken Zellers. If you haven't already, be sure to join us in recognizing these leaders at statescoop.com slash statescoop50. Join me again next time as we dive into the other winners of the 2020 Statescoop50 Awards, including Cybersecurity Leader of the Year, State IT Leadership of the Year, Industry Leadership of the Year, Up and Comer of the Year, and State IT Innovation of the Year. This episode of the Statescoop50 Podcast was written and produced by me, Benjamin Freed, and Jake Williams, Statescoop's Associate Publisher. Our music is all by Jazzer, available via Creative Commons. For all things state and local government IT, head to statescoop.com. Thanks for listening.